FYI, for copyright purposes, the songs discussed in this podcast have been removed. Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Oh, welcome everyone to this week's Aging Fearlessly. This is Karen Sander. My guest today is Gunter Swoboda and he is an international psychologist, speaker and author. So welcome, Gunter. Thanks, Karen. Lovely to be here. It's absolutely fabulous that this time we get to talk in the studio because yeah. I much prefer seeing my my um, guests in person because it just has a much better feel having a conversation yeah, I, than that I agree. bloody Zoom thing. Yeah. <laughs> Although it's great and yep. it saved us, but yeah. So, Gunter, tell us a little bit about you. Um, okay, so quick bio. I was born in Vienna in 1957, so uh, when we're talking about ageing, I'm in the right category. <laughs> so, You're younger than me, but yes. <laughs> Oh, I might just slide in. The interesting thing is I look in the mirror and I don't quite comprehend at times what's going on in my head and what I see reflected back I to me. I think that's an interesting point because yeah. people say I still feel 20, yeah. but I look at it and it ain't yeah. 20 anymore. Give me an hour in the surf and I can give you a completely different story. <laughs> so migrated with my parents to Australia when I was 12, had no English, uh, and then basically sort of slotted in. I acclimatised really quickly and uh, I was a reader from very early on so I was reading science fiction mainly and then I discovered spirituality in my early teens looked at religion that didn't quite fit for me went back to philosophy did zen and then um, I bombed the HSC and my mother went you need to get a job which was a real introduction to real life I went hang on a minute Uh, what I was doing which was working in a bank didn't suit so I went I need to get get to uni basically I I sort of had this feeling and so it was a question of what was I going to do at uni and the two things that I was really interested in was psychology and philosophy and in fact it was philosophy first then psych Mm -hmm. but everyone told me you're going to be a starving philosopher and history is full of those (laughs) that didn't really appeal to me because I'm somewhat hedonistic (laughs) and uh, so I went okay double major (laughs) Double major. Let's just cover both bases as much as I can. And psychology became the sort of real intricate passion on lots of different levels, the science of it, working with people. I was never going to be a researcher that, you know, I struggled with statistics for four years, got through, that was it. And then graduated and started working with developmentally disabled kids which was an incredibly enriching experience on one level, emotionally really tough. And then I started working with Vietnam veterans because I'd gotten a job in drug and alcohol uh, as, a, as a psychologist. And a large number of, of, of my clients were men coming through probation and parole mm-hmm. or veterans. And so I got interested in the whole 
area of men trained in family therapy, couples therapy, and you know had a very eclectic practice for a long time. Went into the public service. Again, I discovered that I'm not a team player with political groups, so left, fled, um, and went back into private practice, which was my passion. And, and then I went, okay, what is it that I really want to do? And the focus became, because of what I was seeing socially and individually, um, that we needed to change how we think about masculinity, how we think about the social impact with men and how society impacts on men. And our stats are, you know, shockingly poor, really. Mm. Um, and so that's where I am now. So, you know, on, on a personal level, I mean, I've been surfing for over 40 years, close to that. Um, still, still do that. You're lucky you've got a touch of the olive skin there. I do, I do. My wife and my daughter hassled me to go to the skin specialist because I never wear sunscreen. This is not medical advice. Please do not do this. <laughs> um, but it makes you slippery on a surfboard, so I used to just avoid it. And I'd go really almost black in summer. Yep. And I walked into the skin specialist and he looked at me and said, why are you here? And I went, uh, my wife and my daughter have insisted. They were the ones that made the appointment. And he goes, look, without examining you, I can tell you, you're not going to have a problem. Mm. And I went, well, that's good to hear. And he said, let's just go and run through the exercise as it is. And I said, when do you want me back? And he goes, I don't know, 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the lucky one. I mean, I, you know, I come uh, from... Very fair. Yeah, my background actually is... Not that far from Austria, Germany, but right, um, okay. that's my, my family tree. Um, but I, um, someone once said, and she was a redhead, people with my colour skin and hair should never come south of the Tropic of Cancer. Right. Like, stay up there. Yeah, it's right. like, don't come this way. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I am in the wrong yeah, country yeah. when it comes to, to sun. But let, we wanted to talk about today men... And yep. aging fearlessly, yep. you know, as you know, I wrote a book, Aging Fearlessly, yep. and I, I particularly aimed it at women. Yeah. In, in, in actual fact, it was um, Aging Fearlessly for Women, yeah. Don't Be Defined by a Number. And I guess I wrote that in terms of how, you know, I was in my late 50s and I wrote it in terms of I was having a really good life mm. at the time and I wrote it in terms of what was I doing that mm. was making a difference. Mm. And I guess aging fearlessly, if I put, you know, my spin on aging fearlessly, it's about having all your ducks in a row so that you can actually get on and enjoy life. And, you know, mm. is it your financials? Is it your health? Mm. Um, your social and the community yeah. and all the things you're doing and yeah. how all of that together under an umbrella, yeah. you know, leads to living a fairly positive, yeah. you know, aging life. Um, and today, talking about men and ageing fearlessly, do you want to put a spin on that one? <laughs> There's a couple of things. With that. Firstly, uh, on a broader picture, our culture is not good with the whole notion of ageing. We're, in fact, an ageist culture. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I learned from working with women when I was actually still quite young as a, as a therapist was at a certain age, women started talking about being invisible. Mm. And I went... Hang on a minute, I need to think this through. What, what exactly do you mean? And so they said, you know, you can walk into a shop and you can stand there and there'll be a young 20-something-year-old next to you and she's the one who gets served first despite the fact she came into the shop after me. 
Exactly. And so, I, you know, that started getting me more and more interested because I hadn't thought about ageing all that much other than after uni I couldn't get a job straight away as a psychologist and I worked as a nurse in a, in a, in a nursing home. That too was extraordinarily enriching and I mean I had the whole gamut uh, from people with you know severe dementia to you know a 94 year old who was this bohemian woman who'd lived around the cross in her youth and you knew Dobell and she, she was a real radical we used to have these great chats and totally switched on 94 years yeah she was 94 at the time um, so it was really interesting but I didn't extrapolate from that experience initially at all. It was just sort of something that I did, experienced, liked it, parked it and moved on. And then as I started personally getting a bit older and getting into my mid to late 30s um, and working with men, I suddenly started to see a picture that popped out from, from a cultural perspective, which firstly, we're ageist. Everything's orientated to youth. Part of that came with the counter culture revolution in the 60s mm-hmm. don't trust your oldies <laughs> it's like you know really yeah. uh some of them were suspect but not all of them yeah um and then the the other bit was that um women had value because of their appearance not because of who they were and what stood out for me was that with men it's got very little to do at the time with appearance but it had everything to do with what you could do now, in the last probably 20 years, men have had to add in appearance. So if you're not cut and you're not looking like Van Damme, you know, you're not one of the players. And this ridiculous notion about the alpha male started to emerge, which is a complete and utter nonsense. Uh, a friend of mine, and uh, he's a, uh, Dr. Mark Williams, he's a neuroscientist, and he and I are working on a book uh, essentially blowing up the mythology that exists in the field of men. And, I mean, there's a, there's a whole host of them. Mm-hmm. And, and so men, are, men were good in their prime or what they perceived or what culture perceived to be their prime. But then what happens is that you get to about late 40s, early 50s, and the social, your social status becomes suspect, right? So you have to deal with things like... Um, you know, the factions and the political stuff in, in, in the workplace mm-hmm. where men's relationships are in, you know, intensely political and competitive. And so if they don't see you as being competitive, you're gone. Yeah. Now, one of the things that we know from primate studies is you push a primate off their social rung, they get depressed. Mm-hmm. That's the main cause of depression amongst primates. Human beings aren't that different. <clears throat> so one of the things that happened was that I started in my work with men looking at this thing about, okay, you know, we're so well indoctrinated in doing stuff, right, but we don't have a really strong sense of being. So activity is everything, and the moment there's downtime, we get anxious and then we get flat. Yeah. So that was that's where I started to see this framework developmentally. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Because in our culture, we don't spend a lot of time on emotional development, emotional maturity, coping with that change is really tough. And it's tough for women because, you know, youth appearance beats who you are. You know, in Jungian psychology, we talk, or the Jungian therapists talk about the crone. 
Uh, have you read a book called Running with Wolves? No, I haven't. I'm trying to think about the author. And I, can't. I, I always mean, forget the authors. I'll have to look that one up on really, Audible. I'll flick you a link. Great. It's a really good book. And it talks about the different stages of women in their you know, development in their lifespan. And our culture doesn't value the crone, despite the fact that at the moment more grandmothers are taking care of kids than mothers in, in, in many instances. There's a word. We used to have a woman that lived behind us. We used to call a crony. Right, okay. Is that? Yeah. It's Yeah, yeah. it's just when you said yeah. crone. Yeah. I thought, I wonder if that's, you know. Yeah. yeah. It was an odd. She's an old crony. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, um yeah. So the whole cultural underlay, you know, doesn't actually help us to move through the different ageing stages. You know, mm. we get to a certain stage and then it's like, whoops, what do you, what do, you do? I, I think for women, well, first of all, just going through the stages, Jane Fonda, um, have you ever listened to her, her TED Talk? No, She I talks haven't. about life in three acts, like a play. Oh, right, okay, and I love so it. And <laughs> so the third act, yeah. so like I'm 65, I'm in that third act. Yeah. And, you know... I can't remember the the ages, but I think it's like 30 to 60. So yeah. you've got the first act, the second act, and then the third act. Yeah. And her TED Talk is really, really great. But, yeah. I, you know, I was out with two women yesterday oh. who are just hitting that menopause. Right. And, like, when you – it's a huge change for them. Mm. Their kids are, you know, now 16 and mm. plus, and mm. they're just going – God, my mind. And, yeah. you know, for women, it yeah. can be so obvious, these changes. Yep, because it's a biological, it's a very apparent marker. Men don't have that. Mm. Um, I was going to just say to you, how is it for men? What what I, I see probably, and I relate to this personally, is we start becoming conscious of losing strength quickly if we don't train. Mm-hmm. Um, Often loss of motivation, passion. Mm-hmm. Um, the other part of it is that we we then try to adapt by getting a bit more frantic in what we do. So at fifty five, you might buy yourself a new Harley Davidson, despite the fact that the only thing you've ever ridden in your whole life was a one two five, which actuaries really love because the stati- statistics are terrible. Um, <coughs> but we try to maintain ourselves as we were in early days. Now, you know, the guys are going to hate me for this observation, but most, many, many, many men are emotionally stuck between 16 and 25. Okay. They haven't really taken... We take on the social responsibilities, but emotionally... Yeah. And often intellectually, that's our reference point. Right. So the idea that... Hang on a minute. You know... I'm 65, I don't think I can play touch football the way that I did when I was 30, often doesn't come into the equation. So we get lots of stuff about injury, and with the injury comes often an emotional reaction like getting depressed. Um, In psych, we talk about the third age. So it fits with Jane's. And the the third age for men is a bit scary. So... So it fits with like 60 on, is that where, you know, obviously yeah. it's hard to just go, oh, yeah, yeah at 60 you're in the third age, yeah. but yeah, around, a, about. around about. Around about then. 
I mean, you know, also, you know, it's not just that, you know, and we do overfocus on our physical fitness as men. You know, you talk to most men about what keeps you emotionally stable and they go training, gym, you know, exercise, all that sort of stuff. And it's sort of like, yeah, okay, that takes you so far, but not further, you know, because at some point that's going to not be the way that you're going to learn how to adapt. So, um, how, like when, when a man hits this, so third act, what generally would they notice in themselves? Um, okay, so there's been a couple of social shifts. Once upon a time, when you hit, let's say, 60, your kids were off your hands. They were, you know, they'd launched themselves into the world. That's no longer the case. I know a lot of men in their you know, early 60s who've got teens. Mm. So that, you know, that comes with some benefits and it comes with some negatives. Uh, trying to keep up physically with them is tough. Um, so they become very aware, which again then encourages them to train harder. The problem is you might train hard, but you may not be looking after your diet, for example. So, you know, a lot of men basically drink too much alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, partly to sort of sedate that inner anxiety about mm-hmm. moving on. Yep. But it's also a social thing. Yeah, especially in this country. Yeah, absolutely. We have a culture where we consume far too much alcohol. And that has an impact on mood. So this anxiety, depression process kicks in. The other thing is you're often staring down the barrel of getting um, retrenched or retired forcibly. (laughs) And then... most instances have they've never thought about that coming so quickly. Yeah. I mean, I, I sometimes look at myself and go, and then I get to be 64. It was only the other day they were still playing in a band. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of bands, you've chosen some songs for me today, and I love it when my guests mm. choose their, their songs and bring them mm. here because I get to learn more about you mm. through your songs. So Bruce Springsteen and Glory Days, tell me this song for you. The title pretty much sums it up. <laughs> it's a reference point to what do we see as our glory days. And um, part of my choice were actually the artists, as probably more so than the actual song. Okay. So for me, Bruce Springsteen was this extremely interesting character that didn't quite fit a particular niche. But his, his music and, and the lyrics often touch on several different levels. Um, and I was working with Vietnam vets and returning soldiers at a time where Bruce Springsteen was often on the radio. Uh, and so the, for me, that was a really you know, important connection because a lot of the guys that I was working with you know, had this conflict about you know, the youth have you know, been spent in a, in, a, in a war zone and they've survived, but at the same time it robbed them of what life could have really mm-hmm. truly offered them. Yeah. And so, you know, when I was working with them in groups, they, they would all, all often get into this, what I call rave, where it was all about the good times, you know, getting drunk and the mateship, the camaraderie yep. and all that sort of, and that was the glory days. Mm. Um, 
As I've gotten older, I realise that glory days don't need to be confined chronologically, that we need to actually take that glory days and move it along, you know. Into that third period of your life. Well, let's enjoy Bruce Springsteen and glory days. You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. So welcome back to Aging Fearlessly and my guest today is psychologist Gunter Swoboda and we're talking about uh, ageing and men and we were earlier talking, Gunter, about men in that third act, probably 60 and above, they go out and they buy themselves the biggest Harley Davidson they can find when they've had a Suzuki before, 120, yeah. and zipped around or in the bush on their push bike. So what about um, men and younger women? I know women know that, you know, basically they don't really go looking for the younger men, not too many of them. No. And they know that as far as having children, there's a cut-off point. Yep. And it, but for men, that's yeah. not really that cut-off point. And then they do find younger women. Mm, mm. Let's go down that track for a minute. Uh, yes, that's always an interesting one because half the time they're still married. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a can of worms, isn't it? it? Absolutely. Oh, you know, my attitude is, dude, finish one relationship, have a break, and then start the next one. But a lot of times there's just this overlap, which doesn't bode well in the future. As a psychologist, I'm looking at it sort of from a depth psychology perspective, is the attraction to younger women is that over-focus on appearance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we get attracted, we're in lust. We don't think about love that much. Remember, men... Sh- are challenged with emotional intimacy a lot of the time. So as long as the sex is good, they think it's going to be great forever, which it very rarely is because they don't work on it. And if she's, you know, 25, 30 years younger, she is going to get to that point, even though she may have said, I don't want kids, at some point she might go, you know what, I actually do. And most men, I don't think, ever think that far ahead. They just go, wow, she looks good. And his mates are going, yeah, she's fantastic. How did you do that, mate? Yeah, yeah. Good on yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, the thicker the wallet, the better. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Because, again, in many respects, you know, there is in our culture this sense of success with, which is embodied in this, you know, in material stuff rather than, you know, this is why philosophers are poor, you know, and bankers are, you know, super rich. <laughs> yes. It's material, right? So they leverage that. And men work on that principle of, you know, their status acquisition and being competitive. I mean, there's nothing better, you know, in your peer group of men to turn up with this stunning, you know, six-foot blonde and everyone goes, wow. And then everyone goes, you're punching a bit above your weight. Jeffrey Edelston. Bingo. Big wallet. Yep. Glamorous looking women. Yeah. yeah. For a few years and then gone. Yeah. What a lot of men run into at some point or another, if there's not that deep friendship that develops in the relationship, and it can, I'm not saying you can't, uh, it can, but it's rare. Uh, they get to a point where her needs are very, very different socially as mm-hmm. his. In the words of one guy that I worked with many years ago, he says, you know, 
I dread Friday nights. And I went, oh, how come? And he goes, because I'm going to come home from the office and she's going to want to go out and party. And he says, look, you know, I like partying, but maybe once every three months, not every weekend. I can't cut the pace. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, it might sound a bit lighthearted and funny, but it's actually true. And the other part that often comes up is I'm not sure what we need to talk about or what we can talk about because life experiences are so different. Mm. So for some men in that situation, it's actually a turning point where they get a wake-up call in terms of what their emotional needs might be. Mm -hmm. But by that stage, it's a bit difficult going back to your ex and going, listen, honey, I think I made a mistake. (laughs) You know, will you take me back? Yeah. And she's going, over-minded body. <laughs> you ran off with that younger woman, you yeah, wear yeah, it. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. But it's it's sort of like, you know, wanting this reaffirmation about youth, the glory days, mm-hmm. and uh, a, an emphasis on maintaining my social power and, and you know, thinking that's going to take you through. So a lot of guys end up very lonely in their third age. At some point, some of this stuff doesn't work anymore. She moves on, and he's sort of now, like, you know, in his early 70s, and he's going, now what? A question from mm. me right this minute is, I don't, I don't know whether there is an answer to this. Mm. In their third age, which sex seems to um, handle it better? Women. Women, why? Uh, A lot of women come to terms with the fact that they don't rely on beauty anymore. They have stronger social networks, like intimate friendships, a lot more than men. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're, by and large, a lot of times healthier, right? Because, you know, if if you're thrashing your body in the gym five times a week... Uh, drinking hard, you know, Friday, Saturday, possibly doing, you know, drugs. I mean, I, you know, it's not unusual for men in their 60s to do cocaine and a bit of MDMA. And God, I'm living you know. in the wrong world. Uh, <laughs> well, it, it allows you to drink more, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, okay. It's a stimulant. So yeah. you, don't, you are, technically speaking, intoxicated, but you don't feel it as much mm. because your system's accelerated, mm. right? So, you know, it's party time. The only problem is, sexually, you pay a prize since you then stack up on Viagra and Cialis trying to keep up. Right? It sort of works, but not really. Um, the Lucky other... those drugs are cheap now. They never used to be. No, I know. I've watched them being in the pharmaceutical industry go right. from 70 bucks a packet to like 20 ish. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, that's another story. Um, so, so, <laughs> so, again, there's this sort of. So, sort of social expectation but in it is also the stuff about sex and sexuality that that starts to clash as well and men don't put up their hand for help women do Mm. so you know i mean ultimately one of the things that i talk about is that you know most psychological therapies were done by men for women you know, like, you know, if you had a male therapist, most of your clients were women. And then there was a sudden shift where uh, most therapists were women and the majority of clients were women. That worked fairly well. They understood each other quite well. The change then was that men started to get pushed a lot of times into therapy. And they they found that they had difficulty clicking with a the female therapist. Mm. There was a sort of 
contact gap in a way. But men are shocking. I mean, I spend a lot of time getting men to go for physical checkups, mm-hmm. follow through. Oh, yeah, I got the test results. What are they? Uh, have, haven't Gone. followed through. Well, your doctor's about to call you if there's something <laughs> wrong. So if there's no phone call, you might be able to breathe a sigh of relief, but I'd chase it up if I were you. Isn't it amazing, you know, oh. that they just – well, it's like the old – you know what is it? They bury their head in they bury their head in the sand. Yeah, it's- yeah, yeah. And so, you know, emotionally, it's not much better. Mm. Uh, you, you know, it's often really challenging to get men to put their hand up for help when they're feeling anxious and depressed, because the attitude, in many respects, and it's getting better, but slowly, that you should you, you should be able to sort this stuff out yourself. I think the thing. You know, there's a, there's a lot of positives about the age we're living in now mm. because mental health is talked about. Mm. You see ads on radio. You see mm. ad, you hear ads on radio. You see ads on TV. You know, people people are um, much more aware. Mm. Whereas when you know, and I suffered shocking anxiety mm. uh, in the first third of my life, and um, but I was just told to shut up and not talk about it. Yeah. And yeah. at least now that's not yeah. the situation yeah. that, yeah. you know, and I think we've got more chance of getting men to speak up about it than we did 20 years ago. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, the, the, there is a very subtle but persistent shift in that. The thing that concerns me is that our mental health statistics actually aren't getting necessarily better. And I come back to the thing is that a lot of our focus is on crisis rather than on development, Yeah. right? So, you know, uh, one of the things my wife and I do with our grandkids is we have activity time, then we have downtime, and we teach them about breathing, and the parents do the same thing, and we make them, you know, emotionally aware, but also give them some, you know, simple tools about, you know, changing how you think. All that facilitates emotional maturity as they get older. Yeah. Um, and, you, you know, one of the criticisms that I get from a lot of women is, especially with men in, 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 the, in, in the third age, is that, you know, he still wants to be a kid, but I've had my kids. I don't need another one. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, let's do another song now because I've got yeah. another good question for you in yeah. a minute. Um Fleetwood Mac, gosh, you picked some good ones. Why Fleetwood Mac and Landslide? Um, it just resonates for me. And, I mean, when I was a kid, I had a crush on... on Analytics. <laughs> so, oh, were there many men that didn't? <laughs> yeah, I've got a couple of gay friends who thought she was okay, but, it, you know, they, they fell for Freddie Mercury, you know. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Go figure. Um yeah, it's one of those songs, again, a bit like Bruce Springsteen's uh, Glory Days that sort of fitted, and and I'm very much into lyrics, so they've got to resonate. Um, and, you know, the metaphor in the landslide, I think, is really, really important. We, it's, I take it to another level. It's a bit like sometimes being overwhelmed by feelings and what do I do? Um, people take a lot of different things out of that song. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the package again. Fleetwood Mac came as part of my, 
you know, glory days that I then had to go, hang on a minute, there's going to be many more glory days. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, absolutely. Um, You know, I have two problems. I often have difficulty uh, remembering lyrics, and the other part of it is I have difficulty remembering authors. So when Google came along, it was like a godsend because I could just Google it. So, example, yesterday we were talking about Lindy Chamberlain. Right, okay. Do you think I could remember who I could see? Yeah. Meryl Streep. Yeah. Could I remember Meryl Streep's yeah. name? Google was very handy in that case. Yeah. And this happens more and more often. Yeah. So I get that thing about remembering authors. So when I hear Landslide, I actually get transported back in a time when I heard the song for the first time. It's a bit like Bohemian Rhapsody. I can tell you exactly the situation that I was in when I first heard that song. It's amazing. It, and like I can visualise it. It's amazing how a song can transport you yep. to yep. a place. So let's enjoy Landslide by Fleetwood Mac. Welcome back to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen. Please go to Facebook and like the page Aging Fearlessly. Welcome back to Aging Fearlessly and my guest, Gunter Swoboda. And we're talking about men and ageing and men ageing fearlessly is what we're really getting around to honing in on. So, Gunter, um, a question. Mm-hmm. We're talking about men and struggles that might, they might have, especially in the third act of their life mm-hmm. after 60. What can women do or... What can anyone do if you realise a male friend is not coping yeah. with that whole yeah. ageing process? Yeah. How can you help? I think the, the first part of it is to recognise that what you see with a lot of men is a mask. You actually don't see necessarily the person authentically because we've been really well trained into wearing this social mask, you know, being you know, strong, you know, dominant, you know, even if you've got the Napoleon complex, you know, you're going to be five foot five, but, you know, trying to get across as a six foot three guy, you know, that sort of, that stuff doesn't help. This is where I go, you know, it's a nonsense that's been perpetrated. We've been conned basically into these ideas. Now, the question is, how can we recognise what's beneath the mask? And there are, there are some, you know, physical signs. There's some, you know, emotional signs. You know, one of the things is you get two... I'm, I'm, I'm going to generalise a little bit, but you get the guy who's overly exuberant, all right? Uh, my experience is generally there is an underlying insecurity that they're covering up with that. Then you get the other guy who's actually a bit more open but withdrawn, all right? And, you know... We're just starting to really get into the pointy end of it where men are being encouraged to form close relationships with other men. You know, to get away from the, oh, did you watch the footy the other night? Oh, wasn't that a great game? And then, oh, let's get another beer. And then, you know, we're struggling to continue the conversation because we've exhausted the sport and now it's about real estate or it's about, you know, work. But, you know, with the Are You OK Day... One of the things that I was really pleased that they recognised is just asking a guy, 
are you okay, isn't going to cut the mustard. Because most guys automatically go, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, why? And the why is often like a second thought, and everyone goes, oh, I just thought I'd ask. Yeah. The follow-up is actually, no, really, how are you at the moment? And it takes a while for men to shed that need to leave competition behind and, in, and, and be able to move into um, intimacy. Mm-hmm. Now, we're not talking about sexual intimacy. We're talking about emotional, emotional. intimacy. Yep. A lot of guys grow up thinking about intimacy as sexual. Right, so being too close, you know. I mean, friends of mine, you know, when I hug them, you, you can feel them still stiffening up. They've yeah. gotten used to me, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And we do it more. It's great, but you know, again, it's often like a perfunctory behaviour. So, if let's talk about fearlessness in that context. Yeah, right? okay. the reality is, authentically, most of us fear aging. Absolutely. A lot of us don't fear death, but we fear dying. You know, the question is, how am I going to get there? Oh, okay. Right? And so with our health statistics, I mean, things like cancer, especially, you know, in young men, testicular cancer and older men, prostate cancer, scares the daylights out of us, really. And so we basically try to suppress it or repress it and move along. In my sort of worldview... Uh, fearlessness comes from embracing the fear and not letting it dominate. You know, when I talk about, you know, emotional maturity is I don't let my feelings rule my life. Yeah. It's my character and my virtues that I focus on. Stoics, right? Talking about a philosophy that guides life. Really, really powerful. In fact, most of the significant psychotherapies today are based by and large on... Zen Buddhism, Stoicism, and uh, reason, logic, you know, um, Aristotle, Mm. ethics. A lot of people that I work with would not have psychological distress if they can work through their moral or ethical or values dilemmas. Mm. Like, oh, I just got attracted to this stunning woman. Mm, Would be really, really nice to, to go to bed with her, but I'm married. Yep. What do I do? Don't go down the affair track. It ends <laughs> in tears for everybody. Yeah. Right? And I'll get from men often, I couldn't help myself. No, you could. You just chose not to. Yeah. Oh, no, it wasn't, no, no, it wasn't like that at all. Well, I can give you probably a dozen points where you could have changed your mind. Yeah. Including standing in the bedroom in your undies. Yeah, and it's like look but don't touch, isn't it? You know, people are going to have those thoughts. Actually, it was funny the other day you said that. I was at the beach with my niece um, walking her little baby and this stunningly buffed guy in his late 20s and there wasn't one ounce of fat on him and I went, oh, my God, Lara, that is gorgeous. And I went, yes, I'm just looking. I'm not going past I have to admire, but that is yeah. Stunning. <laughs> she, no problem but, with aesthetics. <laughs> Do have a problem when we cross the line. <laughs> yeah, well, I, for me, I would be embarrassed to cross that line mm. because why? You know, mm. I mean, he's not going to look at me anyway, but why? Mm. You know, it's like... Well, for men, there's an element in that that actually facilitates crossing the line. And it's that the way we socialise, that whole you know, traditional masculine model actually encourages a certain level of narcissism. 
right? And so the, you know, underneath I might be insecure, but my mask goes, why wouldn't she sleep with me? <laughs> Are you serious, dude? Well, go and ask someone before you try. <laughs> I could probably give you a few reasons why. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. I mean, and but again, for some women, the wallet. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it might yeah. be the attraction. Yeah. Or yeah. um, social position, power. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's and not it, the appearance, but we're, for women, it's the appearance. Yeah. We have one last song today. Leonard Cohen. He, he's very dark, isn't he? Yes, because he... Uh, and the, 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 the appreciation I have of that is that he actually says, take a look at this. I mean, that song came out of his last years of his life. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, if we talk about ageing fearlessly, I need to confront my fears in that and, and you know, really sort it out. It doesn't mean necessarily, um, you know, surrendering or, you know, just throwing in the towel. It means understanding myself. Once I've embraced it, I don't need to be afraid of it anymore. And that's something, you know, you said it earlier about your fears, but if you deny your fear you know, and just push it down, mm. it is worse. It keeps coming up. Oh, absolutely. It, it bites you. Yeah. I, I know, can I, someone taught me something once, you know, what if I, what if I did something really terrible to someone and it really hurt them? And yeah. this person said, answer the question, what you would do. Uh, You've asked what if. Yeah. Well, if I did that, yeah. then it actually almost pushes the question or, you know, yeah. it finishes the sentence. You've, yes. asked, it, you've yeah. asked a question, yeah. you've not answered the question, yeah. but if you answer the question, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, is that a helpful thing to yeah, do? Yeah, absolutely. You know, but, you know, a lot of guys won't go there. Yeah. <laughs> Leonard Cohen's song, Darkness. Welcome back. You're listening to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. To find out more, go to the website rnb.org.au Gunter Swoboda is my um, guest today on the Aging Fearlessly program and he's a psychologist and works a lot with men and we're talking about men and aging fearlessly. So um, what can men do, Gunter, to age fearlessly? Well, there's a couple of steps. So, you know, I, I tend they to They just go, can't get there like that? No. no there's no magic pill. <laughs> no there's magic. no magic pill. Oh, unlike bugger. Viagra, you know, it ain't going to work like that. Um, I think for most of us, you know, it's opening ourselves up probably to going to therapy. I mean, to me, therapy is not just about treating anxiety or depression or some psychological disorder. It's a process of growth. Um it took me a little bit to figure that out when I was, you know, a student and then had, you know, I decided to go into therapy myself and my therapist, basically a very insightful psychiatrist, threw me out of the office in the first session and says, come back when you're ready to work. And I was also part of his training program and I was really pissed off. I sat in the car for about 40 minutes going, how damn, <laughs> right? And then I stewed on it for a couple of weeks going, what's he talking about? And I actually went back into meditating on it. And I realized that what he picked up on was my inauthenticity. That is, I was coming into this with the idea of, 
you know, from a narcissistic place, if I'm going to be a good therapist, this is what I should do, rather than going, actually, mm-hmm. take the pseudomimer off, take the mask off, and just be your soul and see what you discover. And this is where, you know, the darkness, we need to go into the darkness to, to encounter the pain to realise that it's not overwhelming. Yeah. And so, so that was a really important step for me, and I was lucky to be able to, or to have the experience as a younger man. Now, it has made the transition towards the third age so much easier because I don't dwell on the stuff that I can't change. I know at some point my life is going to come to a close, um, but like in a Charlie Brown cartoon, you know, where, where the Charlie Brown and Snoopy are sitting on a wharf and, you know, Charlie Brown goes... You know, they're looking over the lake with the moon glistening on it. And Charlie Brown goes, one day we're going to be dead. (laughs) And Snoopy says, yeah, but until then we're alive. (laughs) And I love that one, you know, because that's exactly the sentiment. And that comes out of, you know, philosophy about being in the present, humanistic existential thinking, Zen, you know, stoicism is, you know, don't get caught up with the stuff that you can't change. Mm. Be prepared to immerse yourself and have the courage to work with the stuff you can. Yeah. So part of it is I can keep myself physically as healthy as possible. Yep. I can understand myself as a human being better. Mm-hmm. Right? The journey is about sharing it with people, not doing it on your own. Yep. And unfortunately, there are some aspects in psychotherapy and where the men's sort of... Uh, where men are shifting into, which is a sort of emotional narcissism. It's all about my feelings. Well, buddy, I've got news for you. It's not all about your feelings. That's one aspect of it. Mm. It's also about, you know, how you are physically, how you look after yourself and therefore others, and the, the power of the relationships with the people that you have around you. Do not neglect them. Uh, when I was working in, in, in the nursing home and when someone was dying, they didn't worry about how much money they had in the bank. They were trying to figure out who's going to come to visit them. Yeah. Right? Um, so I think, you know, let's shift in focusing on what's important. The capacity to learn how to be in a good relationship with myself rather than this, you know, carrying around this inner critic and worrying about whether someone's going to find out that I'm a fraud. Okay, so you might bullshit a little bit occasionally, but, you know, yeah. then be honest. I have another question then. Mm. Should your journey to grow emotionally ever come to an end other than death? Or should we, we be working on our emotional growth every day? Yeah, it's every day, every second. It's, it's as simple as that. And so one of the ways that I work is that the first step is about self-awareness, you know, physically, cognitively, emotionally, and then what translates into action. Mm. And the more self-aware I am, the more power I have, the more empowered I am to make the right decisions. So working on myself as, as my character you know, the Stoics talk about the virtuous life. Um, you, rather than just looking at it as something organic and the universe is going to provide or not provide. I'm not a big fan in the whole manifestation thing. Mm. You know, my, my comment is do the work, get off your butt, um, and, and it'll pay back dividends. 
We haven't got much more time, right. but I want to ask you one. I want to ask you a question about yeah. your books, and I want to yeah. ask you one other question. When should all this work start for men? From the time we're being parented. Zero to seven, the first bit. Jesuits used to go, give me the boy before the age of seven and I'll give you the man. Mm -hmm. That absolutely is fundamentally true. And it's in that period where if the attachments to caregivers is solid, we've got a head start. Then the next bit is really focusing on handling the transitions that come about, you know, going from primary school to high school, you know, understanding other, you know, not just yourself, but also other people a bit better. Um, and then once I'm an adult, I need to take ownership, okay? If it's going to be, it's up to me. I can't blame mum, I can't blame dad, you know. And, and that's that's an important point. So so I went into therapy the first time when I was 23. And yep. it's been a feature for most of my life. So so what you're saying is this is a lifelong journey. Yes. From the day you're born till the day you, you pass out of this place. Yeah. And I think that's an important message. Yes. That, you know, and if, if, if that journey, you know, needs to start later in life, just embrace it and start. Absolutely. It's not too late. Yeah. And, you know, you're not the only one out there that, no. you know, I'll admit to having plenty of therapy and I'm sure I'm going to have plenty more and next time we come in we're going to do, we're going to talk about my latest um transition into retirement right. because I'm sure I need some therapy on that. But now tell us about your books. Okay, so the first one that I wrote was Mountains of the Sea, which is essentially about a young guy who is essentially a fish out of water. He's the, he's the second son of an aristocratic family, so he's not going to inherit money. So he plays up. Lots of girls, drugs, alcohol. It's set around the time of Captain Cook, okay, which is mm. actually instrumental because uh, something happens and he has, you know, he has to get out of Dodge, basically. Yeah. And he ends up on Captain Cook's ship as it's sailing into the Pacific, right? So... Again, he's a fish out of water. He's this dandy who's stuck on this ship and, you know, eventually ends up in uh, Hawaii, the first contact Cook has in Hawaii. So this is all interwoven a bit with history. And because he got ill along the way, Cook decides to leave him in the islands and pick him up on the way back, except that never happens. <laughs> so he's the poor bugger on one level. Um, having to adapt to native Hawaiians. There you and go. The life there. And it's, it's literally, you know, he's a very flawed character on one level, but he turns all those, what could be negatives, into positives, into a, a rich life. Oh, um, I have to read this book. Happy, happy for you to read it. <laughs> and your other books? The other, the the other book that I've got is um, "Making Good Men Great: Surfing a New Masculinity," which is basically it was the first thing that I wrote where I put my ideas together about what we need to do socially and psychologically in order to get, in a sense, well as yeah. men. It was a redefinition. One of the things that I'm on about is that we need to dismantle the ideology that we're brought up with, which is patriarchy. Uh, Annabel Crabb did this brilliant series on um, 
the the federal government and the misogyny and the sexism in that in in that I'm place. raising my eyebrows. Yes. Yeah, and it was fantastic. Um, but not once did she tap into what's underlying this problem behaviour. And and you know we have a system that's been going on for about six and a half thousand years. Mm. Um, and we just take it for granted. And with it comes a whole bunch of mythologies. And, you know, the next book uh, that I'm working on with uh, Dr. Mark Williams is about blowing those myths right out of the water. Well, when you publish that book, why don't you and Dr. Mark Williams come in and talk about it? It would be a great thing to talk about because I love talking about books and, and, you know, what what people are writing because it's just really interesting and I'm learning so much. But how do people find you, Gunter? Um, Apparently I'm all over the the web. So if you you Google my name... (laughs) Gunter. There's about, I think, two pages of different entries. So I've got a website that's being revamped. Um, you know, obviously the books are in in with Booktopia and all that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm. All you need is my name, Gunter Swoboda, and ah, so I say Swoboda Swoboda. Yeah. I'm terrible that's, at no, it. That's fine. Yeah. Anyway, Gunter. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming in today and and talking about men aging yeah. fearlessly because it is an important topic, and. I am going to ask you to come back at some stage because there's so many topics we mm-hmm. um, can talk about. And I love it that we can get into the yeah. studio and bugger that COVID thing off. But, yep. you know, it's great to have you in the room today. So thanks. It was a pleasure, Karen. Thank you you're, very much. You're more than welcome. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, aging is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in It's not all nine to five, it's a wonderful life. Let's go and climb mountains high, swim across oceans wide. Live out our dreams, just you and me. Let your heart be alive. There's no time to wait. Gotta go get the most out of time Don't be afraid Like this treasure that you've got to find Baby, don't be shy Let's go and take that ride Taste the sweet and the spice Everything nice Let your heart Let your heart come alive, honey Let your heart be alive